This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Well, if you're already turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, we're going to continue our series in Romans. This has been a fantastic time as we've hit my favorite chapter. I love Romans chapter 12, and we're going to dive into some really important things today. But before we do, I'm trying to do an overview every week of all of Romans in a very short way. And the reason why I do that is my hopes is that this gets pounded so deeply into our hearts that we could all give an overview of the book of Romans if pushed to, uh, to do so. And so, um, and, and I think it's important for where we're going each service for us to understand how we have gotten to this place and uh, and we're at Romans 12 so we have been going over a year a year and a half in this book and, and so here's here's what we saw in Romans chapter 1 we all have sinned and I know many of us don't like talking about the fact that we are sinners we don't like saying that confessing that believing that um, but it's important for us to know that we all have sinned and the reason why is because we need to know that the line is flat the line's flat we all need a savior we all need Jesus, uh, no matter if we have done rebellious sin or self-righteous sin where we've covered up our hearts with morality or whatever that could be, um, pride and arrogance, we all need Jesus. And we've sinned in three specific ways. One would be that we have preferred the creator over creation. Why, why is that important is the fact that we would rather have God's stuff than God. That is sin at its core. That God, the creator of all things, has given us these good gifts and we worship them instead of worshiping him with them. We believe the lie over the truth. The core of that is we think that we're smarter than God. We're going to push into that a little bit today. That's sin. We're going to push into that. And this uh, scripture we're studying today is going to confront that. The third thing is we don't acknowledge God as the giver of all good things. We love to celebrate our strength and to take credit ourselves and to put honor on ourselves rather than putting honor on God and others. We love to, it all to kind of terminate on us. We want to be worshipped. This is going to be so confronted by Romans chapter 12 verse 10 today that I have to kind of show us in, in illustration form how this is the the current in which we swim in. This is the culture in which we live. We so believe today that selfishness and pride is actually a virtue that we should possess. Let me give you an example of this. I'm an unashamedly watch uh, reality television. Now, if you hate on me, then... Um, you need to answer to my heavenly father. No, I just, I love, I don't know where that came from. I love reality television. Um, and I brag about it, but I, I do say this. I love it because I, I can see our culture and where it's going and what things are taking place and the sins that are around us. And one of the things is, I, I don't know if you've ever seen these, I'll try to put it as nicely as possible because I'm in that category, heavy people who want to lose weight, okay? And so these heavy people want to lose weight, and so they go on a reality television show, and as they push into the reasons by which they are heavy, many of them say this, well, I'm just 
I've spent my life thinking about other people all the time, and I've never taken care of myself. And so I need to take this time to take care of myself and not think about other people. In their minds, they literally see selflessness as the reason for why they are where they are. And the answer to losing weight would be, I need to be selfish. Let me just confront that cultural lie because many of us have believed that the reason why we are not who we're supposed to be is that we have been too selfless and we need to be more selfish and prideful and take care of ourselves more than we take care of others. And the reality is your problem is not selflessness. Your problem, even at its core, is that you are far more selfish. That's why you are bigger than you should, right? You're feeding yourself. You're taking care of yourself. There's a selfishness, and I'm going to reward myself. And inside of that, we start to believe selflessness is actually something that and God shows us. Even we're going to see today. The, the culture we swim in tries to take sinful things and, and elevate them to places in which we should aspire to. Listen to me, church. Selflessness is not our culture's problem. It's a sin to be selfish, to take the glory and honor upon ourselves. But with all of that in mind, even though we are sinful, God has not forsaken us. God has not forsaken us, and we're going to see this today, so I want to pound this drum that even though we turned our backs, we worship creation, we think we're smarter, we think uh, we, we want all the glory and honor for ourselves, God saw us as his family. Even though we deserve death and disgrace, God showed us and gave us life and honor. He gave us his son Jesus. He showed us grace. He adopted us as his family. God has given us what we do not deserve. And in that he has shown us honor and grace. Well, how do we receive this? Well, the Bible shows us in, in Romans 4 that the way we receive this is through faith and trust. And many of us try to take faith and trust and make it a work. Like, I've got a lot of faith, and this person has a little bit of faith, and we take faith, and here's what faith means. If you say the right things, if you think positively, if you do this, that's what faith is. No, or if you, if you sow a seed to meet your greed, or if you blab it and grab it, if you do these kinds of things, that's faith. And the reality of what faith is has nothing to do with human effort. It has everything to do with trusting in God. Not my own works, but in the work of God. In Jesus' work. And what do we get when we put our faith and trust in Jesus? The Bible shows us what we get is God. We were separated from him because of sin. But what we get is God. We get union with Christ. We are now who were far and aliens. We are now one with Christ. Now everything that is true about Jesus is true about me and you. Not only are we in Christ... Romans 8 shows us Christ is in us. The picture that keeps coming to my mind is he unzips our flesh and gets inside of us and lives his life out through us. Now we have the power to actually live, to move, to have our being. 
And if we believe this is true, that we deserve death, but he adopted us and gave us life and grace and honor, and he's brought us into his family, we should be so overwhelmed that it leads us, this theology should lead us to doxology. This theology should lead us to praise. It should lead us to such an overwhelming response that all we can do is be blown away by the magnitude of who God is. And then in Romans 12, he talks about how when we are living lives of praise and true worship before God, there are right practices. Orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. Right belief leads to right living. Why? Because when God has changed our hearts, when we see what God has done through us in Christ, in view of that, there's a new way of living. What is that new way of living? Well, we've been studying this for the last couple of weeks now, but that new way of living is shown in Romans 12, verse 9, which is this, genuine love. This is where it pushes into the heart, my friends, and here's where we have to see. So many of us measure our spirituality or our, our Christianity, if you will, by things that Scripture doesn't even measure it by. We measure it by how much we ha attend church, and we'll talk about that a little bit today, or how much we read our Bibles, or how much we pray, and we'll go, man, I'm really on target this week. But the Bible shows us that the way we know that we are Christians is by genuine love. And that banner over all the things that we're studying over the next eight weeks is this. Genuine love. That means you're not a good actor. That means you're not putting on a front. That means the love of God that has been poured into you is overflowing and pouring out of you. My son came up to me after the last service and he said, Dad, I learned a lot from this sermon. And so when that happens, I know, man, I'm really, I'm really cranking on all cylinders, right? And he said, Dad, I realize that I've been trying to love people, but now I realize that God is genuine love. And he said, the picture I get in my mind is like a cup where God just keeps pouring water into it and all the water just keeps coming out over the top. I said, son, that's it. The love that God pours into you pours out of you genuine love it's not a show my friends it's real genuine love that the world cannot understand let's stand together as we read romans 12 10 i'm gonna only read one verse and we're going to spend the time just focusing in on these two thoughts but i want us to stand together just so that we can remember and distinguish this as god's word we want to have a high view of god's word verse 10 says this Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. God, I pray that this church would hear these things, would trust these things, and would live these things out to a watching world around us. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Now, under this banner of let your love be genuine, Paul begins to give marks of what genuine love is. Um, and this is important for us because I will uh, say this very boldly, and I think all of you will agree. I don't think many of us in our culture actually know what, what love is. Not only do I say that about the culture, I think many of us are products of the culture, and we don't know what love is. Paul gives Four kinds of love in Scripture, I mean, four kinds of love is seen in Scripture. Paul is referring to many of these in this, uh, in this text. 
But those four kinds of love are this. There's the word storge, which is family affection and care. There's the word philea, which is love between friends. There's eros, which is sensual and romantic love. And then there's a fourth kind of love, which is agape love, unconditional sacrifice and love, or a.k.a. God love. A.k.a. means also known as, if you don't know what that means. God's love. Now, last week when we studied genuine love, Paul said the word agape. He was saying God-like love. This is a love that the culture doesn't know, can't experience, or understand. The Christians had to make up this word agape because they could not find a word of love that actually explained it. So they had to make up their own word so that the culture wouldn't think they're saying the same thing. Agape was a totally different kind of love that only the church could know and understand because it came from God who is love. So he puts it under this God love, but then in this verse, in verse 10, he gives a word Um, for love one another with brotherly affection he gives a word for love that's never used again and has never been used in any other place in scripture and here's the reason why paul couldn't find a word to describe what he was doing so he went totally hip-hop and he made up his own word right i love that that's so gangster right just add izzle to the end of it and it's like ah hey and then everybody's saying it right Or you just take two words and mesh them together. This is what Paul did. Paul took two words. He took storge, which means family affection. And he took phileo, which means love between friends. And he meshed them together. And he said, storge, phileo. Basically, here's what Paul did. He said, framly. You all need to be framly, is what he said. Now that word framly is interesting because he made up the word to illustrate something, but he did leave out one kind of love, and I think it's important for us to understand why he left it out, and it's that word eros, which is a sexual kind of love, and this is important for us to hear and to know because we live in an over-sexualized culture. Everything is sexualized. You cannot have any kind of relationship without someone questioning whether or not it is sexual. Why? Because it's such in our heart. We don't think of love in any other way. We can't imagine a real kind of genuine relationship without sex involved in it. That's a, You see a guy and a girl who are genuinely friends, and immediately everybody's going, hey, what's going on over there, huh? Got a thingy thing going on, huh? Or you see... Uh, Two guys who are really close friends, and immediately, because people don't understand it, they're like, are you, you gay or what? We don't understand a love that is not sexual, and we sexualize everything. Listen, whether it's jokes or real or whatever, you're swimming in the culture. You're swimming in the culture. And because of that, Paul has to bust away. He does not use the word eros. And here's the reason why. Because church has been used for so long for desperate women to find some man to fulfill their dreams. And a a man who's on the hunt for a piece of meat, he goes to a church. I'm going to find a good church girl. That what ends up happening is the church becomes exactly like the culture. And instead of displaying love, they swim in the same love that everybody else is. 
Paul is making a bold statement by leaving Eros out. Why? Because we have taken a pure word and we have sexualized it and thought we get it because we understand. And many of us are searching for Eros love to fulfill the deepest needs in our lives, the sensual kind of love. And then before you know it, you actually realize you missed what love actually was. He says framly, and the reason he says framly is because he wants to push against those who love checklists. Many people go to church with a checklist mentality. They go, okay, in order to please God, here's what I have to do. Okay, tell me, preacher, what I need to do. Okay, I need to read my Bible. I'm struggling with it, but I did it once this week, check. You got to pray, okay. I prayed before my meal, check. How long do I have to pray? I never live, I can, I don't. I'm in, okay, what else do I have to do? You got to go to church. Okay, I'll go to church every week. What else you got to do? Oh, I think I got to go to community group. I don't want to, but check. I did it this week. We go down the marks and we start doing check boxes and thinking, if I live up to this, then God really, really loves me. And Paul pushes past and frustrates those who love checklists. Why? Because he shows us that you can go to a service, you can attend community, you can eat dinner, you can tithe, you can, um, you can read your Bible, you can do all these things. But you also could have no genuine love. And you have nothing. Here's what he says. If you want to have a mark of genuine love, you are going to be in a family. And the reason why he uses the word framely is because he's saying this. One, and I want you to look up here with me. Love is closer than a family, and this love is deeper than a friendship. Let me explain what that means. The reason why he brings these two words together is because many of us, well, all of us have family. And they're always family no matter what they do, no matter how crazy they are, and no matter what kind of person they are, right? They're just family. I don't have to like them. I don't have to be close to them. I don't even have to, you know, see them. But they're always going to be family. I'm a little embarrassed of them, but they're always family. And I'm just in covenant with them. They are family. They're always going to be family. Paul pushes into that kind of mentality because a lot of people attend church with that. I, these are just, I just go to this church. These are my people. I, I go there. I kind of tolerate them. They're that kind of people, but I, they're not, they're, 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 they're just family, right? He pushes in and says the kind of love that you have to have is closer than family. It means you can't just tolerate them. They are family. It's also deeper than friendship. What do I mean by that? You may have a bunch of people that you hang out with and you're like, man, we're really close. We click. We get together, man. We're just on the same page and we just do all these. These are my friends, man. We get each other. We know each other. And the minute they do something that disappoints you, you don't have any covenant or any sort of relationship. It's just defriend. Listen, before Facebook, we were defriending people a long time ago, right? Why? Because they're just friends. I'll get another one. The reason he uses this word family is to push past our even understandings of family and understand that the church should be these people who genuinely love each other with a love that goes closer than family and a love that goes deeper than 
friendship. That we are united in covenant with, which, with one another and we are committed to one another and we are showing a genuine kind of love. Many of us are already questioning, well, how does this work, man? I don't click with everybody. How can it? Because we've, we've, we've so shallowed out what love really is, we don't understand how we can do this. You see, our primary identity as a church is that we're sisters and brothers and mothers and fathers and daughters and sons. And listen, when you think of the church in that light and you think of the church in a healthy family context, it pushes past sexualization. Like I can't sexualize a sister or a mother or a daughter. But it pushes into a deeper covenant and a deeper relationship than sex could ever understand. This family idea goes beyond me just tolerating somebody and it goes into this idea of me genuinely loving them. This friend idea, this family idea pushes past this idea of me just clicking with people and it pushes into me knowing and loving people that are not exactly like me. You get that? It pushes you into a tapestry instead of just into a people that look exactly like you. Many of us pick churches for that reason. Man, these people, the people I would hang out with, man, they all dress like me. They all look like me. I mean, we're all the same type of people. Listen, that's not family at all. That's not family. That's you loving yourself, and so you're finding people like you, exactly like you. Those kinds of churches blow up. The kind of church that we need to be is a people who understand this word that Paul had to make up just so we could understand it. Now, when I wanted to illustrate this, I thought, man, I can stand up here and tell all of you how much I love you, but I, w I do deeply. But I, I, I don't want to come up with some polished speech. So I, I thought, who, who in our congregation really gets this? And two people immediately came to my mind. And I think there's a lot. But two people in this church really get this. And I'm going to ask them to come up. And I, it's... It's Gladys and Miguel Perez. If you could give them just a big hand. Come on. Let me help them up. You can give them another hand while they're waking up. Stand up there. Here's this too. You can hold this one. You can use this one. Uh, I, 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 I seriously, when I see Gladys and Miguel, I think, man, I, I, want, to, I want to be like them. I, I really do. And, and when I talk to them about the church, it's not because they've had everything gone right for them and everybody's treated them so well. They have a deep affection to a place that, that I, I just go, man, they get this first. And so I wanted them to talk a little bit about how that love had been developed in your hearts. Like where where'd that come from and what, and could you just talk to us in a way that would stir us up in our love for one another? Yeah, you're right. All right. I don't know. I guess it's just when I see you guys at church, I see you guys as my family. Um,
That's awesome. Let's give them one hand. Thank you so much. I love you guys so much. Yeah, man, I tell you what, when I see uh, Gladys and Miguel and their love for us, um, the reason I wanted them to come up here is I don't want us to see something polished. I just want us to see genuineness, you know. And uh, I see that in you guys. I love you so much. I'm thankful for you. When, when we are confronted with this kind of love, church, we're, we're having to be asked, how do we view the church and how do we view the community that God has redeemed? And do you, do you just love the church or do you just tolerate the church? Do you have a genuine love for it or is there just a toleration for it? Has your commitment to people, the people of God, been just surface, just surface? Or does it need to go deeper? Has you, have you been committed like family to being in relationship with one another? People different than you, unlike you, but they're family. The next thing that Paul says is this. Outdo one another in showing honor. This word for honor is this word price or value. So when Paul says genuine love does this, it, it outdoes one another in showing honor. Here's what takes place. When, when someone is showing honor to someone, what they are doing is showing them the value in which God has placed on them. They're instilling on them saying, I'm putting the value in which God has placed on you and, and I want them to see and know how, how valuable they are. Now this illustration for me makes this all drive home and the reason why is because uh, when I was a kid, I went to my dad and I had a Beckett, which was a book that said how much baseball cards were worth, right? I collected baseball cards, and you opened the pack, and you wanted to be, and I, so I went to my dad with the Beckett in my hand and the baseball card. I said, Dad, look at right here. This card is worth $50, and I was stoked, and my dad was not as stoked as I was, and I'm, Dad, check this out, and he said, he said, son, it's not worth 50 bucks. I said, look it, here's the Beckett, and he said, yeah, it's only worth what somebody will pay you for. That stuck with me. And the reason why it stuck with me is because I think this is how many of us live our lives as, as we should. When I say to you, God created you in his image and likeness, we see that in his word. From the very beginning, God created man in his likeness and in his image. That we, as Gladys said, are image bearers of God. We're image bearers of God. But what has happened because of our sin... Because of us wanting honor on ourselves and not wanting God to get any of the glory. And we want it for ourselves. Because of our sin, we were separated for the one who gives us value and honor. And because of sin, we are scrambling to try to find honor from things that will never be able to give us value or worth. So I could sit here and tell you, you're worth this. Here's your value. You've been created in the image and likeness of God. But listen, church, God knows you're only worth what he's willing to pay for you. That he could say how much something is worth, but if nobody's willing to pay for it, can. But he sets such a high value 
Nobody could pay for that except for him. He's the only one rich enough to show you not only do I say you are created in my image and likeness, but in order to pay for your sin, in order to pay for your separation to me, the only restore that, I'm going to send my son Jesus to die on the cross for you, to pay the price you could never pay, to pay the debt. He is not just one who says you're worth it, he paid he put his money where his mouth would he sent this his son jesus to pay the price he's the only one rich enough to pay to restore the honor and the value remember because of your sin you deserve death but because of the richness and mercy of god he honored you by restoring value that now we are not just declared valuable But he showed us honor, and when the people of God who understand that gospel and look at others who need grace and have received grace, and because they deserve death, and God has shown them so much grace, and that they could go to somebody else who's in sin and grab them by the nap of the neck and say, you don't deserve to be treated with love and honor and respect. You, I'm going to treat them with disrespect and, and, and unforgiveness. What that shows is they don't understand the grace that they've received. What we do when we honor and point people the grace and the mercy and the honor, we're showing them the value that Christ has put on them. The price is paid. You have to understand that one of the biggest problems in the culture that we live in is the loss of the sanctity of human life. And let me explain what that means. Tied to the gospel is that we are created in the image and likeness of God. It's called the Imago Dei, and we've lost that. And here's how we've lost it. People think they are God, and when you think you're God, you start assigning value to people by what you think they're worth. So you look at a baby in the womb, and you say, it's going to ruin my life. And so we feel we can destroy that baby. Why? Because it's going to ruin me. It's not valuable. We look at the poor, and we say they are a drag to society. They don't have value and respect, but this person who has money, they have value. So we look at the old and those who cannot take care of themselves, and maybe we look at them and say, man, they're just, they've passed their prime. They're not worth anything anymore. And what do we do? We start looking at the outwardness of people, and we start developing a race that's worth value, and we start taking away value from others. We look at the color of skin. We look at all these things, and we start assigning values. And you know what you're doing in that place? You are thinking you are God. Why? Because those who are created in the image and likeness of God and realize they've received so much grace, look past those things and give value and honor. And and, and they don't just do it, hear me in this, they don't just do it when people show them honor. This verse says you outdo one another in showing honor. I love this because it calls out to all of those who are competitive. He says, you want to compete? You're competitive, you want to be the best? Here's the competition in the church. Who can show the most honor to others? Get in that game. What are you the best at? Seeing people's value. Showing them how valuable they are. 
making sure they understand the sanctity of human life, making sure they understand how valuable are because here's something you can say about all humanity. One, there goes one who's created in the image and likeness of God. Two, what I can say about everybody is this, there goes one for whom Christ died. And if you believe those two things about all humanity, how can you not treat them without honor? That doesn't mean you go around and blow smoke. That doesn't mean you go around and say things that are not true. It means you want them to see through the grace and the love that you're showing them who Christ is and the value that he's placed on their life. So loving each other with brotherly affection means this. You're not sitting back. I mean, outdoing one another and showing honor. It means you're not sitting back and when somebody says, man, I really like you, you go, I like you too, right? Man, you're really good at this. Oh, thank you so much. No, it means you are seeing, initiating, and seeing where people are at and going to who they are and showing honor to them and, and, and showing the value that they have. And that is the competition of the church. If we're going to get in any competition, that's the best of all. How do we outdo one another in showing honor? This is the best example of the Trinitarian relationship that God has. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All of them living in mutual, self-giving love. Isn't it amazing that the Father gives honor to the Son and the Spirit and glorifies them? The Son glorifies the Father and the Spirit, and the Spirit glorifies the Son and the Father. They're always pointing and giving glory to the other. And in the giving, could you imagine what a marriage would look like if two people were trying to outgive each other? Could you imagine what a family would look like if everybody was trying to outgive instead of outtake? Could you imagine what a church would look like if we didn't say, man, nobody's doing this for me, nobody's getting this for me, but we're saying, man, I want to get out there and give. And a culture of giving was being cultivated. So many relationships fall apart. Why? Because church, what scripture says is true. It is more blessed to give than to receive. We can say, and man, we can believe that. We can nod our heads. But do you know when that hits the road and it really comes to it, most of us would rather just say, if I could just get this, man, if I could just have this, if I could just get this, I would be done. It's more blessed to give than to receive. How do we apply this to our lives? Three ways. Love your family, your family. Love them like their blood. Know the worth that God's put on humanity. And focus on giving honor rather than receiving. If we apply it in this way, could you imagine the community we have? This was big time illustrated to me this week. My wife and I were talking and my son came up to me and said, Mom, what, what would happen if you and dad died? What would happen to us kids, just five of us? The way my wife answered it was brilliant. She said, we have a church. They would never let you guys go. They love you so much. And my son came back hours later and says, I thought about what you said, and it's true. I don't have nothing to be afraid of. 
my church would take care of me. And I'm telling you, when my son gets that, when we get that as a family, you want to know, we've, ta- we've, we've fully given ourselves to you. I, I love you all more than you know. And the reality is, is I don't have a backup plan. I don't sit outside the church and accuse everybody of not doing what they do. You're my family. You are friends, family, and I have fully given myself to you, and I love what God is doing in this community. And I, I tell you what, it's not because everybody's treated me right or I've treated you right. It's because you have a genuine love that's given by the Spirit to me. God, could this be who we are? Could we be a people that are committed to one another in such a way that that we love each other with genuine affection? God, that we would be closer than family, deeper than friends, that we would be constantly gazing at the worth and value that you've given to us in Christ and we would be pointing everybody to that let us confront sin let us hate what is evil let us cling to what is good but God let us 